0: I wanted to say something about how dissent and ascent are intimately linked in the Divine Comedy. Partly because it's a theme from many wisdom traditions. The road up and the road down are the same, was the way the Heraclitus put it. But it's particularly important in the Divine Comedy because you might ask what's the meaning of hell? Why does Dante have to go there? Isn't hell a redundant idea? Isn't hell empty? But it turns out that descent and ascent are intimately linked. And here's seven ideas about why that is so. We can pick it up right from the get-go with Canto I of the Inferno. Here's William Blake's famous image of it. When Dante wakes up, midway through the journey of our life, and at first he thinks it's just a bad morning. He sees the sunrise, he sees a small hill, he thinks I can just climb the hill pick up the warmth of the sun and get on with my day as usual. But as he climbs the hill, immediately these three beasts appear in front of him. There's the um, prancing leopard, there's the proud lion, and there's the hungry wolf. And they stop him in his tracks. This is going to be a different day. A day that's actually going to take him to the eternal day. But he's going to have to make the descent first in order to make the ascent and the signals given with these hungry beasts that what Dante had thought were his virtues in life have become vices. Commentators explore what these beasts might represent in Dante's psyche, but certainly when he's climbing Mount Purgatory and engaged fully in the work of transforming his vices into virtues, we get a sense of what that's about. So here are seven images from scenes at Mount Purgatory, and they're looking at the seven vices that they encounter. So there's one on the top left there is pride. You can see individuals bowed down, weighed down by these huge rocks on their back, which is their pride. And you might ask, you know, why doesn't the pride just get taken away? Um, Doesn't purgation mean just getting rid of what you don't like or don't want? But Dante's always pushing us to understand more. And you get a sense of that in the word pride itself, which can mean splendid isolation, thinking that you rule the cosmos, you don't need anyone else. But of course, it can also mean having the dignity to stand up straight and teasing out that difference within yourself within your own experience your own character so that the vice becomes a virtue is no easy thing in fact it has to be done over a period of time has to be teased out in all the minutiae of the day and the way you respond to them and that's what is happening on the first terrace of Mount Purgatory it's the same if you look at the second picture along the top there here he comes across the envious seemingly being punished with their eyes stitched shut And yet what that is saying is that they have to learn that they must love themselves, not love what they see in others, not what they envy in others. The French word envie gets it, which is one of the French words for love. You must love your own life, not look constantly at others' lives, if you're going to become all that you might be. So the vice of envy can become the virtue of love. The third image there is looking at the wrathful. Now... Anger can be a kind of fierce, penetrating way of looking at the world. It can help you cut through and see things clearly. But for these individuals, they're wrestling with the wrath in its destructive form and they're covered in clouds of smoke and they can't see the way ahead of themselves. And so they're having to tease that difference out. The third one is the slothful, if you like. They didn't know how to use the energy of life, correctly in life. And here on Mount Purgatory, they're running around madly, getting used to that. Um, The next one is the avaricious and the profligate. They're lying flat on the ground. They've got to learn that even the dirt is good and how that can be held onto in life. So they don't either cling to the wrong things or give away everything, become avaricious or profligate. That's the vices they're trying to convert to virtues. Gluttony um, is the Next one they meet, and the point about gluttony is that it's good to want to take things in. That's the whole point of creation, but we must know what to take in that's good and how to take it in that's good. If you like, we don't just want to go for growth, for growth's sake, because as we know, that actually denudes the world, it strips everything of its vitality. And so here the souls are depicted as skeletal. They're having to learn that they try to consume the wrong things in life that didn't feed them, that didn't enable them to become expansive enough to see God. That's what they're learning here. And then the last one is the terrace of the lustful. But again, Dante's not just saying lust is bad. He's saying that that passion and that desire must be steered aright so that it can become the love that wants God. And he signals that in a very dramatic way because... The individuals he encounters are both same-sex lovers and opposite-sex lovers, what we would now call heterosexual and homosexual. They're close to heaven and they're just learning that it's not the object of their love that matters, but how they love that matters. Their vice is becoming their virtue too as well. So as we can see from this nice image um, by Boccaccio Baldini, taking us back to the beginning, Dante can't just reach out for the heavens, can't just immediately move towards Beatrice as Baldini depicts her here. He must go through the gates of hell. You can see it says per me, through me. That's the journey he must undertake. Now, another way of understanding this is to think about what was known as the four senses in the medieval world. This got rather lost at the Reformation, particularly because Luther was deeply unfavourable towards it. Um, But broadly, this is the idea that you can look at exactly the same thing and see it in four ways. The first would be the literal, what seems most immediately apparent and straightforward. But then you maybe wrestle with it a bit and think, well, maybe there's some sort of meaning here, some kind of allegorical or moral meaning. That was the second way. The third way, though, isn't really happy with that, thinks that, okay, it's already been, you know, well been told what to do or Um, thinking you've got more of it out of than than just the literal sense, but you want to change. You've got to wrestle with something. And so that's known as the tropological element. And then finally, that wrestling um, converts you. It changes you. It's tropos, as in turning. Um, And that enables you to see the anagogic view, which is the divine perspective, which is what Dante's Divine Comedy is all about. It's about this descent that leads to the ascent, that enables us to fully enjoy the divine view. So let's just look at one particular scene here shown in another image of William Blake and it's quite low down in the Inferno where they come across the figure of Bertrand de Bourne and he is shown with his head decapitated holding it out in front of him as if it's a lantern and it's an interesting moment because it's the one time in the Divine Comedy where the word contrapasso is used um, the idea that the punishment fits the crime. And this is often taken as a rather literal and straightforward way of reading the Divine Comedy. Um, But Dante only uses the word once. And he particularly uses it low down in the inferno where Dante's own vision, Dante's own sight is getting increasingly distorted as he enters these infernal realms and knows them from within himself, doesn't just observe them as a passerby, And you get something of that, I think, in this image of Bertrand because... Literally, you can see the image as he only saw the world through his own eyes. He couldn't see more than that. And so now in hell, in a literal contrapasso, his head has become the lantern by which he sees. But then you think, wait a minute, there must be more going on. And there comes to a sort of allegorical reading of this, which is like, beware of thinking that you see the world aright. Um, There may be other perspectives, there may be other points of view, and if you only stick to what you take to be the case, then you might be, as it were, cutting off your own head. But that feels a bit finger-wagging. Okay, so how do I change? So you look at the image again, and you move to the tropological meaning, which is really the discomfort of this image. Um, You know, this is a pretty unpleasant sight amongst many unpleasant sights in the inferno. Um, why does Dante have to see this? Why does Dante have to be there? And I think it's revealed in a remark that Dante makes, because he turns to us readers at this point and says, look, you're not going to believe I've seen this. You're not going to believe I've been here. But he says, on my conscience, I have, and I report to you what I've seen. And so he's passing us this image at that moment and saying you make some sense of it you try and understand what it might mean because if in that wrestling becomes the chance for our conversion too and so Dante is in his divine moment it leads us to a third aspect of this link between descent and ascent because at the floor of hell they encounter Lucifer and he is frozen into the very ground it's like a kind of icy lake Um, you know this is not a flaming inferno flames would be far too lively for this domain of being this is the way that people can get when they almost fall away from life itself and so become solid and stuck and lucifer has reached this state he's gnawing on the body of judas amongst others And again, you really need to work at what the significance of this is, because a literal understanding might be that Satan deserves the greatest punishment. But then you remember that Lucifer, his other name, is the angel, the creature of light. And the wings that Dore so powerfully depicts in this image are made a much of by Dante at this point. He was one of the seraphim. He flew closest to God, which is to say that he knew God most fully as well. And so this seems to be another way in which descent and ascent are linked, that the further you rise, the more risky it gets. And this matters because we're called to rise to the summit. We're called to be with God. So we must gain the felt sense that that brings in more and more freedom, which can more and more powerfully be misused, We must learn to navigate the depths in order to navigate the heights. Um, I think this is emphasised not just because Lucifer was close to God, but because Judas is there too. I think Judas was the disciple who was perhaps closest to Jesus than any other. He understood what Jesus was about, but made that fatal mistake of thinking that he could precipitate things to go the way that he thought were fit. But of course, they weren't. It led to what became a betrayal. And it's so significant because what happens next is they don't then turn their back on these sites but come so close to them they actually reach for the body of Lucifer. They climb down his side and being in complete proximity to this disastrous image is what enables the world to turn around because they suddenly realise they're not descending anymore but an ascent has begun. It's the light of their understanding, the fact that they've been able to see these things with their own eyes is what enables that turnaround. And I think that is what makes sense of the inferno, that hell is what Dante must see, not so much because of who's there. I think that if you or I went to hell, we would see different people because we put people in hell. I think Dante is saying by our limited understanding And by seeing them there, we're able to understand something of ourselves and how we too can get trapped in these infernal states of mind. Now, there's another way in which descent and ascent must be linked in this way, because we human beings are invited to desire it all. We are invited to know and understand divine reality. And as it says in the Islamic tradition, human beings can understand all 99 names of God. That's the compass of our view, and what that means hits Dante full on when he gets now to the top of Mount Purgatory. Here is the wonderful image that William Blake paints of his vision of Beatrice. Um, it's a spectacular carnival. All these different elements have all sorts of meaning. You can see there the Griffin with the eagle's head and the lion's body, with its aim- with its wings reaching right into the heavens. It's a dual aspect creature that brings together the two aspects of reality, heaven and earth. And Beatrice is Christ to Dante in this point, um, an incarnation of the divine in human form as well. But just when you think Dante's gonna take off um and it's gonna be plain sailing from here into the heavens, right at the end of the purgatory, Beatrice turns on him, and here's John Flack's image of what happens next. And Beatrice berates Dante and says, You fool, you fell in love with me, and then when I died, which she did at the young age of 24, you were lost. You were stuck in the idea that life is about loving more and more things, accumulating more and more stuff, turning from one image of beauty to the next, and not realizing that this ascent is actually following the line of the line of beauty that can lead you to the all that in your heart of hearts you desire. The problem with erotic love is that it becomes attached to small things, little things, and we have to work really hard to release it so that it can long for more and more. Um, And that struggle is enacted here with Beatrice and Dante at the top of Mount Purgatory in the Garden of Eden. It's tough, but it works, and they take off and they rise through many of the heavens, and right at the top, before they enter the Imperium, which is the realm where God, um, God's presence is known unmediated, unalloyed, it's outside of created space and time, Beatrice invites Dante to look down, as you can see him doing here in Botticelli's lovely drawing. And what's so shocking about this moment as they look down is that Beatrice describes all they can see down through the heavens, down through down Mount Purgatory, onto the earth, into the inferno. All that Dante has gone to such great lengths to describe, let alone live, she describes it as a digression. She describes it as a sort of error that was kind of unnecessary. And what she's getting at here is what's known in the Christian tradition as the Felix Culpa, the happy fault. It's the idea that from the divine point of view, All mistakes, all failings, all dissent is actually the way to God. The Buddhists talk about the obstacles being the way. The cross in the Christian tradition becomes a way of life because it's about receiving, but then giving up in order to receive more. And then that more is given up in order to receive even more than that. And Beatrice has already corrected the narrow understanding of the cross in the Christian tradition it's a ghastly morbid misunderstanding of the divine way which actually in the christian tradition is symbolized at the moment of the incarnation here's william blake's wonderful image of the birth of jesus in the nativity scene because the divine way is actually just to keep pouring life energy love vitality into creation it happened in in the mythical story of the Garden of Eden, with the creation of the world. It happens again, Beatrice explains to Dante, in the life of Christ. Um, you can see, I think, Blake gets it completely with his image of himself, perhaps contemplating this scene as this outpouring of divine life. And Beatrice explains that that's what God constantly does. When we're making the descent, God is pouring out insight, understanding, desire, love, love to us in order that this turnabout can come around too. So the cross, seemingly this central part of the Christian story, is itself part of this digression and the true understanding is given by the moment of incarnation, um, the moment of first creation, but that's going on all the time inside us now, which Dante is beginning to get having made the descent and understood how vices become virtues, understood how we must see things by wrestling with them and so becoming transformed ourselves. They make it to this cusp of the created heavens into the imperium, the eternal realm beyond space and time, climbing the ladder of ascent as Botticelli shows here, and they come to a sixth understanding of descent and ascent which I've summarised as the idea that actually it's the emptiness, it's the nothingness, which is most full. And it's explained to Dante, first of all, by Peter Damien. You can see his life story here told in the illustration of Giovanni di Paolo. And Peter Damien had been a real disciplinarian in his early life. He'd become a real ascetic. He thought that he could sort of push holiness into him if only he worked hard enough. And The church loved him for it. It it made him into an exemplar by giving him the cardinal's hat, which you can see on Peter Damien's head in um, the upper part of the picture. And Peter Damien had realised what a terrible mistake this was. And so he takes off the cardinal's hat and he becomes a hermit. And it's when he's a hermit that he understands how it really works, which is in this quote um, below the image there. And he says to Dante in The Paradise... A ray of God's light focuses on me and penetrates the light enwoming me, whose force once joined to that of my own sight lifts me above myself until I see the primal source from which such might is milked. That's worth contemplating these words, but what Peter Damien realised was that the little, little flicker of divine light inside him was enough to take in the divine light and that created a kind of turnaround, a kind of flip, because in the moment that he was in-wombing the divine light within him was the moment that he suddenly was in by the divine light itself. That is what the contemplative, that's what he understood, that's the way that the descent of the divine light into him can become his ascent into the divine light, because what he had in-wombed becomes that which in-wombs him. That's the turnaround and it's shown most wonderfully in this image of the Virgin Mary who increasingly for Dante becomes the central figure for his own understanding. Um, here she is shown in what's known as Mary Platitiera. Now that's Mary as wider and more spacious than the heavens shown in this icon because she is seen as the human type that can take Not just Christ the Child into her womb—that would be a literal understanding—but this anagogic understanding. It's that she takes the whole Logos, the whole cosmos into herself, and that is why she's the type for us all, because we too are invited to understand, to see, to be able to embrace it all. Which is why we must first make the descent, because if you want it all, you have to be able to to see and understand and tolerate it all, even in the darkness. And then bringing insight and understanding enables the turnaround so that we can embrace all that's light as well. Mary, who whose own heart was pierced with many swords, as it says in the Bible, is also now, for Dante, in these high, high heavens, the type which he must follow in order to enter the high, high heavens too. Um, I wanted to put this image here up of um, a Beguine woman Um, This was a massive movement in Dante's time. Hundreds of thousands of women were leading independent or shared religious lives, following very much this this pattern. And here's a quote from one of them, Catherine of Genoa. And she says this, she says, God is my being, my me. She understands this Mary as wider and more spacious than the heavens. God is my being, my me. And she continues, I will have nothing to do with a love that would be for God or in God. I cannot bear the word for or the word in because they denote something that may be in between God and me. You know, these are the words which you often hear in churches that um, God is for us or were for God or God is in us or were in God. Catherine is pushing it that extra bit and saying even the word for and in undermines the truth, which is that God is my being, my me. This is the unity which the descent and ascent pattern reveals to us. It would be called non-dualism perhaps now, but has been known in these mystical traditions within Christianity as well. And so just a seventh point to sum this up, hell, the hellish states, is for we humans to see heaven via purgatory, Not purgatory as in purging to strip away and take off and to get rid of what seems unacceptable or what you don't like, but this purgation where our vices become our virtues. And it's seen here in Blake's wonderful image of the Divine Trinity, where the suffering and the darkness is held within this divine sight, within this divine embrace, and... The spirit isn't quelled by it. The spirit of light and levity and flight and life and outpouring can embrace and tolerate it all. Which leads us to the final image here given by John Flack, which is that Dante sees God not as if from a distance, not as if God is for him even, but he sees himself, knows himself to be part of the divine light and life. And that is why he can say at the end of the Divine Comedy that he knew that he was spinning with the love that moves the sun and the other stars. So I hope that gives some sense of how descent and ascent are linked, which Dante and others within these great wisdom traditions knew to be the truth of our life and the way in which descent and ascent are so intimately linked.